In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller wrote, it often takes an experience of crippling weakness for us to finally discover it, it being God's blessing. That is why so many of the most God-blessed people limp as they dance for joy. That statement struck me as I read it because honestly, it runs counterintuitive to everything that we think about being blessed. When we think about being blessed, our tendency is to think about uh, warm, fuzzy things that make us feel good. We, we think about an increase in, in prosperity of some kind, an increase in wealth, an, an increase in relationship, an, an increase that makes us feel good about ourselves or a, a congratulations. <clears throat> and that's typically what we think about when we think about being blessed. Last week, however, we saw that Jesus himself said just the opposite of that. As a matter of fact, Jesus surprised us last week when he started his Sermon on the Mount with that key word, blessed. And then we don't to describe what it means to be blessed, how people are blessed, and, 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 and what people who are blessed look like. And, and yet, all of those were a little contrary to our thinking. He, he talked about those who mourn being blessed. He talked about those who were poor in spirit being blessed. He talked about those who were meek or humble being blessed. That's not typically what we think about. The, the ESV version translation of the New Testament has 112 references to that word bless or some of its form, whether it's blessing or blessed, but none of those, none of those connect blessing with material prosperity. Now think about that just a moment. We always tend to connect it with some kind of material prosperity, but there we find not even a hint of material prosperity, not even a hint of perfect circumstances being the source or the reference of, uh, of blessing. On the contrary, blessing is typically seen in the New Testament as connected with either poverty or some kind of spiritual benefit, that is, some way of connecting us with God's presence and God's glory. Uh, blessed certainly carries the idea of being fully satisfied, not just tingly happy, not just warm, fuzzy feeling inside, but fully satisfied no matter what the circumstances might be. So last week we talked, spent a lot of time talking about, about what does it mean to be blessed? I think we define that pretty well, so I'm going to move on today to a different idea. If last week was theoretical, this week I hope to be more practical. If last week was more philosophical, this week we hope to be more actionable. And here's the question we want to approach this week. How do we respond when we are blessed? How do we respond when we are blessed? Now, if hashtag blessed to you means that everything is happy when I'm feeling happy, then you respond one way. But when we are truly blessed, our response is carried whether the circumstances, the response is the same, whether it's during circumstances that are tough or circumstances that are easy. I want to go this time to the words of the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, and as he wrote to the Thessalonians, Paul said so many wonderful things in two little letters that he wrote. I want to zero in this morning on just a few of those. There, there's three short, pithy statements. There, there are three short imperatives. Some commentators have even labeled them as in, impossible imperatives. Uh, and I think when I read them, you'll understand why they would call them such. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, here's our text, verses 16 through 18. Paul writes, 
Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a really power-packed couple of thoughts, right? Three imperatives, and then this little ending about this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting? Everybody seems to be searching for God's will. Maybe you said before, I'd like to know God's will for my life. What is God's will for my life? Well, here's at least a part of it that's very clear. It is God's will that we rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. Now, how does this fit into our thought and into our thinking? And and let's set the context. Paul is talking here as simply as he can about some of the characteristics, some of the values, some of what uh, a devoted follower of Christ looks like. When one has his heart fully given to Christ, his focus is on Christ, and he is understanding that he's walking in the presence of Christ, Paul says, here's what happens. Here are the imperatives that need to take place. Here's what you do when you walk. Here's how you respond when you are a fully devoted follower of Christ. Well, last week, we connected this idea of blessing with the presence of Christ, with our following of Christ, with our understanding that Christ is our Lord, that that Jesus is the source of our blessing. And and so I think it's fitting, fitting within the context to say that these same three characteristics will follow the life that is blessed. A blessed person will respond in similar fashion to the fully devoted follower of Christ because to be blessed is to understand that we are followers of Christ. We are walking in his presence. So what are the three things that mark this life? What are our three responses? Paul says three things, three imperatives, um, pretty simple to understand. He says, first, we're rejoicing. Second, we're praying. And third, we're giving thanksgiving. Pretty simple, right? Well, I can rejoice, I can pray, and I can give thanksgiving. The difficulty comes, not in the verbs here, the difficulty comes in the modifiers. When you add the modifiers, suddenly what was once simple becomes now, frankly, very difficult. Because he says, rejoice always. The modifier is the issue, right? Pray without ceasing. Thanksgiving, give thanks in everything. Now, it's the modifiers that are the challenge. So let's think about these three things just a minute, and let's kind of break them down and unpack them a little bit and see how we should respond when we are blessed. First thing, when we're blessed, Paul says, we are always rejoicing. Always. That's a tough word. When we think of always, well, always is always. And the truth of that is always includes difficult days, as well as simple days. Not only is he saying to rejoice when things are going our way, but he's saying we should rejoice when things are not going our way. Not only should we rejoice on Saturday because we have the day off, we rejoice on Monday because we go back to work. That's a little bit more difficult. Now, consider this. Paul's audience, who he's writing to here is the Thessalonian church. Keep in mind that our study of the book of Acts would indicate to us quickly that Paul's original audience had it tough. Unless you're thinking, well, that's easy for Paul to say and it's easy for him to write but because he's Paul. Now, wait a minute. He's writing to a Christian. He's writing to a church. He's writing to followers of Christ who are experiencing difficult times. It was not easy to be a Christian in the first century. 
You have to remember the persecution. Think back to our Revelation series and think back to how we talked about some of those persecutions that they were experiencing under the Roman Empire and even from the Jewish elders and the Jewish leaders. Uh, persecution could come either way, Jewish or Rome. Uh, any, both of those had authority and both of those were pausing or, or causing problems. In Acts chapter 17, um, the first 14 verses, we read about Paul's visit in Thessalonica. We, we understand the circumstance. This sets the context. It helps us understand who he's writing to. And in this chapter, Paul describes how he and Silas um, um, nearly, or Luke, I'm sorry, describes how Paul and Silas nearly lost their lives by bringing the gospel here to the city of Thessalonica. How the two evangelists had to escape the city under the cover of darkness. It talked about even, the, even then, after that, the Jews from Thessalonica went after them, hunted them down in the next city, and stirred up the crowds there to persecute them even more. What a tough situation. In fact, Paul wrote in the first part of his letter to the Thessalonians, in chapter 1, he said, you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. So we, we didn't read that part, but in the opening of the letter, that's what he said. He acknowledges, look, I wrote to you and you received this in, in a time when it was tough, in a time when it was hard, in a time when life wasn't easy and everything was not going your way. And yet, he says, rejoice always. I think about Paul's letter to the Philippians and how it's a letter of joy, and yet he was writing from prison. And so Paul not only spoke this, it's not just something that he thought in his mind that he wanted to, to, to burden them with. It's, it's a way of life for him. He has learned to rejoice in everything, rejoice always. And even in prison, he's writing a letter of joy. And even here, he's writing a letter of joy and saying, whatever happens, whatever the circumstance, rejoice always. Now, let's just be honest. How do we do that? How does that happen? Now, it's easy to sit here and talk about it. It's easier to say it. It's easy to just hear it, nod our head, or maybe say an amen. But how do we do that? How do we rejoice always? How do we rejoice in the difficult times? How do we have joy when life is not going our way? How did they do it? Well, I think there were a couple of things that... that give us a hint. I think there are a couple of observations we can make to understand how they did it and thus how we can have that joy, how we can respond with joy no matter what the circumstance. First of all, it's clear that they had a deeper understanding of what it meant to be blessed. They understood that to be blessed is to enjoy the presence, to rest in the promise of God's presence in our lives, to understand that joy comes not just from good, warm, tingly things, but comes through a presence of God, God working in my life, God present in my life, God being all in all in my life. And secondly, they understood that our faith is shaped and strengthened by the things that we go through. We saw that last week in James. In James chapter 1, you remember, he wrote, James wrote very clearly, he said, rejoice or, or be glad even in the times of trouble. He's counted all joy, my brethren, he said, when you fall into various kinds of difficulties because of the trying of your faith that works endurance. And endurance, when it's finished, works um, into you maturity. And, and so James says to us, rejoice even in trouble. They, I, I'm sure they understood that. Uh, we, we, we understand that Paul goes even, takes it up maybe to another level in the Roman letter. The letter to the Romans, he writes in chapter 5, he says, We also 
glory in our sufferings. <laughs> now, that's a tough one. That, that's an upside-down idea here for us. We don't think of glorying in suffering. We think of our glory coming in winning. And yet he says here, we also glory in our suffering. How? Why? <clears throat> he says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. You see, the hard things in life shape us and thus are a blessing. They refine us and they are a blessing. We find joy in knowing God's presence has not left us no matter how difficult the situation. We find joy in knowing that God is working in and through us. So no matter how deep or dim or dark the situation may be, we can indeed rejoice. Why? Because we're blessed. God is working in our heart. He is shaping us even in difficult times. Let's move on to the second thing, the second part. He, Paul says when we are blessed, we rejoice always. And secondly, when we are blessed, we pray without ceasing. We pray without ceasing. That is, we pray constantly. We pray in every situation uh, we, what, what does that mean, and how, how do we do that? I don't know about you, but when I think of prayer, I think about being in that state of speaking uh, that, uh, you know, some prayers are formal, some prayers are informal. I think uh, we need to understand this is coming from an informal point of view. We, we can't just uh, constantly be in an Our Father, which art in heaven attitude of thought or, 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 or speaking that literally, but it goes beyond that. We aren't primarily praying um, that, that God would change our circumstances, but we are always praying that God would work in us through those circumstances and we could find joy and our hope in Him. Now, is that really possible? How do we pray constantly? How can I, I do I have to always be on my knees with my hands folded? No, no, no. Praying goes beyond that. The core meaning of prayer is really turning to God to share your thoughts, your needs, your desires, your time with Him. The praying has the idea of communication with God, us speaking to Him, Him speaking to us, spending time in fellowship, spending time in a relationship with Him, growing in the awareness of God's presence in our lives. Prayer goes so far further than we often think or even imagine. But how do we do it continually? All right, whatever we think about prayer, however you think about prayer, how, how do I do it continually? Even if it's silent, even if it's just in my thought pattern, if, if that's praying constantly, how do we do it? Well, some, some commentators think that Paul is talking about recurrence rather than constancy. In other words, some believe that Paul is really saying that what we need to do is pray constantly rather than necessarily um, recurring every moment. It's also possible that Paul talks about praying constantly in the same sense that I may talk about loving my wife constantly. I read several people who follow that thought, and I, I thought, well, it kind of makes sense, right? Because I, I love my wife constantly, but it doesn't mean that I am always talking to her. It doesn't mean that I am always um, walking next to her, holding her hand, or whatever it might be. But wherever I am and whatever situation I'm in, I'm loving her constantly. Some would say that that's the idea or the thought here. The point that I think needs to be made is that when we are blessed, our response 
is prayer. Our response is an awareness of God's presence in, um, it without ceasing, with constant reminders. I, I think what he's making the point is that we must understand God's presence is near and he's ready to communicate. We're read, open to our communication whenever we need. Tim Keller said this also. I thought it was really pretty well uh, said. Keller says, prayer turns theology into experience. Prayer turns theology into experience. What, what we know about God, what we studied about God, what we understand about God becomes experience when we communicate in that time of prayer. So we pray without ceasing. We are in a constant place of prayer. Well, the third thing he mentions, I think, is maybe equally as difficult. Because the third thing he says is when we are blessed, we give thanks in everything. Now, it's very similar to the first command, right? There's, there's a thin line between rejoicing and thanksgiving, and, 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 and there's a close likeness that, that sometimes are so synonymous we want to be in, uh, make them be the same thing. And yet I think there's a distinction here that Paul gives us. He says, rejoice always. That's tough. When we're blessed, we, we pray constantly. That's tough. And now he says, when we're blessed, we give thanks in everything. Now, I, I don't have time to unpack this thought, but uh, please note here, he's talking about giving thanks in everything, not for everything. We could dissect that all we want to, but the point is we give thanks for our blessings those that we appreciate and those that we understand and those that we see clearly and even those that we don't understand. Even when we don't understand them, we give thanks. It's not always easy, right? As a matter of fact, I've found that giving thanks is not always easy, even in good times. Even when things are going well, it's hard to give thanks. It's not, I'm not sure it's in our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to just expect it and accept it. And, and when we accept it, we kind of expect it. It's hard to give thanks, right? We have to teach our children. What do you say? When someone does something, what do you say? Thank you. What, what do you say? Thank you. How many times do you have to say that to teach that child that expression, that, that, that um, need for gratitude expressed in thanks? Well, it's the same with our Father. I'm not sure it's very natural for us or easy for us, even in good times, but it's nearly impossible in bad times, in hard times. That's when it's hard. How do we give thanks in this situation? It becomes very difficult. But we give thanks during difficult times because we trust that God is using them for our good in ways that we can't see in our human perspective in ways that we can't understand with our um, finite minds. They're in ways that we don't understand, but we would do well to learn to give thanks in all those situations. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it well. He said, I have learned to kiss the ways that throw me up against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the ways that throw me up against the rock of ages. When I read that, I immediately fell in love with it, but I wanted to rewrite it. I almost wanted to rewrite it and reread it this way. When will I learn to kiss the ways that throw me against the rock of ages? It takes time. 
It's a process. It takes growth. It takes maturity. It takes a growing of trust. Or we can trust God that even though this situation, this circumstance is throwing me against the rocks, I can kiss the wave because God's going to use that for his glory in my life. Now, these three impossible imperatives, these three statements, as difficult as they are, even with the modifiers, can be accomplished. And, by the way, if we can learn to respond in this way, if we can understand the true meaning of blessing, and that is a fulfillment in the very presence of God, if we can understand to find in Him everything I need and whatever the circumstance, He is all I need, if we can come to that understanding and respond by rejoicing always, by praying constantly, and by giving thanks in every of those situations, it literally has the potential to change your life. Literally has the potential to change our lives. The great theologian Willie Nelson once said, when I started counting my blessings, my whole life turned around. You know what? I, that's true. That really is true. When we count our blessings, when we understand our blessings, when we begin to move in a, this blessed life that we've been talking about, when we understand that Christ is our all and we trust him so we rejoice and we pray and we give thanks, it literally does change our lives. And you say, but Pastor Eddie, I don't understand how you can say we're blessed when life is tough. And I know that some are probably listening right now that could tell some horror stories about your life right now. How do you give thanks when you've just lost a loved one? How do you give thanks when you just lost a child? How do you give thanks when a job goes sour? How do you give thanks when everything seems to be going against us? How can we call that blessed? I think Paul gives us the answer. When he wrote to the Ephesian church, he explained it for us so clearly. Ephesians chapter 1 Beginning with verse 3, listen to what Paul said. He said, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Now remember Paul and remember everything he's been through. Remember all the circumstances, the dire circumstances he found himself in. You can find that list in the letter to the Corinthians. You can find that he was shipwrecked. You can find that he was beaten. You can find that he was left for dead. You can find that everyone was against him. You can find that everything that could go wrong seemed to go wrong. And yet he says... He has blessed us. How can he say that? Listen, let me finish. He has blessed us, Paul says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Paul said we are blessed in Christ Jesus because he died for our sins because he has offered us new life, abundant life, forever life. Because he has adopted us into his family and predestined us to be sons of God. That's all you need. That goes beyond anything he could bless us with physically, materially, emotionally. It is to know that he has reconciled us to himself. That, my friend, is why in the midst of your darkest hour, 
you can still say, you know what? I am richly, richly blessed. I think Paul's reminding us that we're able to do these things. We're able to respond with these possible imperatives, not because we feel blessed, but because we are blessed. There's a difference. Not because we feel blessed, but because we are blessed. H.B. Charles said this. He said, you cannot rejoice, pray, and give thanks in all circumstances. If you focus on the circumstances, you must run to the cross and look at Jesus. you got to keep your eyes focused on the right thing. If you look at your circumstances, Charles says, it's not going to happen. There's a lesson to be learned from getting seasick. <laughs> You've probably been there at some point living in Florida where you have experienced that. I remember one summer we were in the Bahamas and we had an afternoon free, so we decided that we would take the afternoon and rent a glass-bottom boat to go out and look at the reefs. And, and so we loaded on the boat. The boat was full of us. I don't remember how many of us were on the boat. There was enough that I was standing uh, in the back of the boat couldn't find a seat. Uh, well, we go out to the, 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 to the reef, and on the way out there, the seas were a little bit rougher than normal. We, we, did, we, we didn't think too much about it at first, but they began to get a little bit more. We began bobbing like a cork, and you know what happened, right? People began to get seasick. People began to feel bad, and what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? So I just shared with them something that somebody had told me a long time ago, and, and I said, well, here's what you need to do. Probably what you need to do is Find something on the shore and focus in on that and look at that. Find a building, find, find a big tree, find something over there to focus on so that you're not focusing on the waves around you. You see, the motion of a boat confuses our balance system. If we look at the very object that's causing that movement, which is the waves, but if we focus our eyes on a fixed object that's unmoved by our own vacillation, we can handle the ups and downs. <laughs> The constant that we must focus on is the nature and character of God and the promise of His presence. You see, it's a great illustration because the truth of the matter is if we focus on the circumstances around us, it's like focusing on the waves. They're up and they're down and we're up and we're down. And if we focus on that motion, life begins to make us sick. But the key is to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, no matter how dark the world gets, no matter how dark the day gets, no matter how dim the outlook comes. Uh, let me just give you one other example of that. In 1637, all of Europe was at war. The 30-year war was a terrible time. There was a, there was a walled city called Eilenburg in Germany. Thousands of refugees came there seeking safety. Then the plague came. Remind, stop there just a moment. The plague came. Kind of reminds us of the day we're living in, right? This pandemic came. Listen to the story as it goes on. It says, soon thousands upon thousands of children and teenagers and men and women were dying. At this time, a 51-year-old pastor named Martin Rinkart was serving a Lutheran church in Eilenburg. In one year, listen to this, in one year, more than 4,000 people died, including Martin's own wife. At one point, he was the only pastor remaining in that city. One had moved into a safer place, and Martin performed the funerals of the other two. So in the midst of his own grief and trauma, Martin was conducting 40 to 50 funerals a day. When I read that, I got a bit under conviction because I've been moaning a little bit about going to two or three a week. 
40 to 50 funerals a day. Doesn't get much darker than this. To his congregation, though, here's what he said. He said, we must lean on God's presence. We must be the presence of Jesus for another. Listen now, church. Listen, children of God. This is for us in the midst of this dark, dark time that we're living in. Here's what he said. We must lean on God's presence. We must be the presence of Jesus for one another. We must have the sustaining presence of the Spirit to guide us or we will not survive. Wow. What an outlook. Well, wait a minute. It gets better. In the midst of this time when thousands of people were dying every day, Martin wrote a prayer of gratitude. He wrote it primarily to teach his children and to teach them the attitude that they had to have in this dark moment. But that prayer was later put to a melody. And that melody became a hymn. And I don't know, maybe you know the hymn, maybe you don't. If you grew up in a more traditional setting, you might. The hymn was called, Now Thank We All Our God. Martin wrote these words, remembering the context, remembering what he's experienced, here's what he wrote. He said, now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things has done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and is still is ours today. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us, to keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all of this world in the next. What an all, what a, what a thought, what an attitude, what a perspective, what a way to look at things and to look at life, to understand that even in the difficulty, we can rejoice. Even in difficulty, we can pray. And even in difficulty, we can give thanks. Why? Because we're blessed. <laughs> Why? Because we're blessed with spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Why? Because Christ has redeemed us and we are his and he knows what's going on. And he is directing us for a plan and a purpose. What about these three imperatives? Think about it just a minute. Maybe this should be our takeaway for the day. When we feel blessed, we might. When we are blessed, we will. That is, when we feel blessed, we might do these things. We might respond in this manner. When we are blessed, we will respond. We will rejoice, we will pray, we will give thanks because we are blessed. Because God has allowed us to understand and to enjoy and to experience His presence. And as the songwriter said, in His presence there is joy evermore. Well, I'm trusting that you are aware of His presence right now. And that he is speaking into your heart right now. And you know what? Right now, there's someone waiting to talk with you. There's someone waiting to just pray with you. There's someone waiting to rejoice with you. There's someone re ready and waiting to give thanksgiving with you. There's someone now ready to guide you into an understanding of God's presence and how that can be a part and be true in your life. All you have to do is be willing to ask.
May I pray with you today? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for reminding us today that we are so blessed. Not because of what we have, but because of who we are. Not because of the things, the possessions that we enjoy, but because of the spiritual blessings you have for us in Christ. Not because you have made us sufficient for ourselves, but because we find our sufficiency in you. Now bless, Father, these who are listening to the words today. And may we commit deep in our hearts, may we commit beginning today to rejoice always, to always be filled with joy, to pray constantly in tough days and good days, and to give thanks in everything to keep our focus on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.